History happened everywhere. A random place, a random time, and a topic pulled from the hat. The challenge? Find the fascinating, uncover the unexpected, and share the stories. You're listening to... History happened everywhere. Hello and welcome, I'm Pete Goddard, your host, and I'm here today with my co-host, Mr. Ryan Weir. Hello everyone. How you doing, Ryan? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you very much. Uh, Ryan, I've been thinking, uh, I've been watching a lot of old sci-fi lately, I've been oh, watching the, the like Star Treks and the Star Wars is this? Oh my goodness. Uh, and some of the B-movies, and yeah. I would like to know from your perspective, yeah. what sci-fi world would you most like to live in, just as an ordinary joke? Okay, what, like Forbidden Planet or Avatar, Jungle Land? Any of those. You've just, you're just living your life, you're a regular guy, you're not the star of the show, you're just the, the chap in the background, living his life. What world would you like to live on? Can I make one up, or does this have to be an existing one? Well, I was thinking from a movie or a book that people would recognise. Okay. You can't just have the land of candy and sweets <laughs> yeah, and that joy and delights. That's what I was going to pick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not how this works. It's a, it's a known fictional sci-fi world. A known so I would put you, for world. example, on the sandy hellhole of the Dune planet. I don't want that at all. That sounds terrible. Well, that's why I'm putting you there. I'll be living on the lovely avatar the jungle lush planet where I can commune with nature. Okay. Well, I'd like to say maybe the Blade Runner, grungy, dirty, always dark and rainy uh, cities of the dystopian future. But I live in Croydon, so it's kind of... You're halfway there, really, aren't you? <laughs> Just tad more neon and you've, you've done it. <laughs> yeah. Right, so we are here for the main event though, Ryan. Yes, so we are. Let us refresh our memories as to what it is we're talking about today. Oh, let us refresh. <laughs> I'll hit the button. Your country is... Yeah. Mauritania. Oh, the brilliant. The that is Mauritania. <laughs> and your time period is... Yep. 500 to 600 CE. Okay. And your topic is, mm-hmm. funnily enough, yeah. humour. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh, you funnily enough. That was a bit of a gag. Okay. <laughs> well, look, you know, I can tell you one thing. It's going to be funny. Oh, no pressure, I'm eh? so looking forward to how hilarious it's going to be. <laughs> There's definitely no pressure, but uh, I will be bringing my laughometer. So, the classic Mauritanian comedy in the 500s. Wealth of choice, I'm sure. Uh, I'm excited Mm. to discover what you've learned in the next hour, maybe 10 minutes. I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, let me start at the beginning. (laughs) Mauritania is listed in the top 10 least visited countries in the world. That's not because there isn't things to see and do there. There's actually some, it's a really beautiful place and there's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff to have a look at, which, some of which we'll be talking about later. But mainly because the UK Foreign Office lists Mauritania as one of only 17 countries in the world deemed entirely unsafe due to the risk of terrorism. It, it doesn't just stop at terrorism either. Let me, let me just list some of the other things that it's heavily criticised for. Child labour, child marriage, fat farms where they overfeed women to help them appear more attractive, female genital mutilation, indiscriminate arrests, lengthy pre-trial detention, 
harsh prison conditions, including mistreatment of prisoners like cigarette burns, electric shock, sexual violence, the death penalty for homosexuality, political corruption, political marginalisation of ethnic groups, limits on the freedom of the press, and slavery, which was only just abolished in 1981. It was criminalised in 2007, making it the last country to abolish it. Despite that, it's still a continued practice today, with an estimated 800,000 slaves there, about 17% of the population. Fertile comic <laughs> ground, I think we can <laughs> that was my starting point. Um, so it's been difficult, Pete. I'll be honest. This is not, you know, it's not been it's not been very easy for me. Which is why I've enlisted the help of a specialist in the field. This is a, an award-winning comedian Ooh. who's going to join us as a guest on on the podcast today. This is someone I've been an admirer of for a long time. Someone who I first saw perform at Edinburgh back in 2005. I've seen his career grow since then. In an age where cynical, aggressive comedians tend to sort of dominate, this is a man who brings a refreshing dose of sharp, smart wit, gentle humility to the art form. This is a craftsman, someone who, who resonates with audiences, who delights them in the experience of shared laughter. This is a talent who is both intelligent and inquisitive. He's toured many stand-up solo shows. Uh, he's performed at the Comedy Store, at Jonglers, at the Montreal Comedy Festival. He's published 10 books. He presents podcasts, including the excellent history of the British broadcasting century. He writes for BBC Radio 2 and BBC Radio 4. He writes for TV with credits including Top Gear, Miranda, the sitcom with Miranda Hart, uh, the longest running British television sitcom Not Going Out, starring your lookalike, Lee Mack, 13 series, over 100 episodes. I'd like to welcome to History Happened Everywhere, it's Mr. Paul Carenza. Wow, welcome Paul Carenza. Well, what a pedigree. Thank you. I, there's absolutely no way I could ever live up to that introduction. That's not me. You've got the wrong bloke. I feel like, you know, that. remember that BBC interview years ago? There's that guy, Guy Gomer, who came along expecting an IT interview and ended up on BBC News talking about the political situation in Mauritania, probably. I'm that guy. Yeah, welcome, Port. Look, I, I recognise this, is, this isn't this is going to be a particularly easy one uh, to bring some humour to, but if anyone can do it, I feel like you can. And and you know what? Like, we're just we're just glad to have you on board. We might be talking more about humour than with humour, but we'll try and do a bit of both, shall we, and <laughs> yeah. see where we end up. Yeah, well, look, uh, to get us started, uh, to get the comedy juices flowing, I thought it might kick off things if I started with a little joke that, uh, you know, I've written about Mauritania. Oh, nice. Oh, um, my Lord. Paul doesn't know you well enough to be gonna, as afraid as I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to start We're going to start strong, okay? Because okay. I feel like, you know, with his experience, he'll be able to, to validate my credentials as a, as a budding <laughs> comedian. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Right. I mean, you, I should say as well, you've picked a great time to start your stand-up career with almost all comedy clubs currently closed and not quite reopening yet. So uh, this is, you know, there's never been a, a worse yeah. time in terms of supply and demand. Thousands of comedians after about four gigs. But go for it. No pressure. This is it. All right, here we go. So, <clears throat> yeah, here we go. When you go on holiday there, <laughs> don't forget to take lots of luggage because you will accumulate a lot of possessions in Mauritania. 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 It's good. Take lots of luggage because you'll accumulate a lot of possessions. I worked a lot on, on the wording of that. No, is that crafted? Yeah. <laughs> is that the final version? I struggled with the beginning bit when you go on holiday there because I couldn't use the word Mauritania because mm. <laughs> then it would repeat it later. Well, I mean, I'm not the expert, so I couldn't comment. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> It's my sound effects box of laughter that's got me through lockdown. That's it. It's what you need. 
<laughs> you can use that one, Paul. Do you get many people saying that to you? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot. Um, uh, mostly my, my wife. But um, I, um, the thing you've got with Mauritania, of course, is no one knows anything about Mauritania, apart, apart from people maybe who live there. I've got a funny feeling even they know very little about Mauritania. Therefore, the only thing we know is the word Mauritania. So we, whatever the punchline is, is going to be Mauritania, isn't it, really? There's no point even doing a pun about the capital. No one even knows what that is. So, um, yeah, it's uh, tricky. That's very true. Do you want to hear my second joke? <laughs> He's going to say it anyway, Paul. Saying no won't just, help you at this point. <laughs> a Mauritanian walks into the desert and says, long time no see. No, ah, that's good. I like that very much because he isn't far from the sea, is it? I don't know. I haven't seen a map. Because it's, it's, yeah, well, it's like desert. Ah, I see. So. Right, so there's more, more Mauritania jokes to come, guys. Can't Got wait. More of a threat than a... <laughs> there's a car outside my house. I've just seen there's a... There's a, there's a I might be having a delivery. This is quite exciting. <laughs> I'll back in a minute. Okay, and he's back, and he's brought back something with him. Very exciting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, look, in uh, Mauritania, it is traditional for hosts to offer hospitality to their guests. So, uh, you should have a little bag in front of you now. I do. It's in like so the end of seven, up. is it? <laughs> yeah, it's in the bag. Sure. <laughs> 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 so Mauritania Shall I open this now? I? Yeah, yeah, absolutely well, And I'll just sort of talk over, over while you're opening it um, So in Mauritania it's custom Like in much of North Africa in fact To share tea with your guests Now obviously I couldn't make you tea In the traditional way So I have sent you some tea bags You That's can very kind. make your own your own cup of tea So I don't know if you want to uh, do wow. that We can, we can share a cup of tea this together is, This has become yeah. an unboxing video They're, they're very in nowadays <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, you've got there some go. green tea with mint. Very, very Mauritanian. Green tea with mint. Yes, very There you good. are. Um, we've got some... Um, wow, I've, oh, I've got a tagine, a tagine yeah. stew base. Oh, I do like a tagine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've not had yeah. a tagine, tagine in a while. What's that you've got there? <laughs> this is a, a sweet potato by the looks of things. It is. It's a sweet potato, yeah. You've got this, one sweet potato. I mean, that's, that's, instantly, that's what they have. instantly funny as well. It's like Blackadder with, uh, you know, and Baldrick with the turnip. You know, instant comedy from one of these. Root vegetables yeah. are hilarious. What um, else have you got in there? Uh, there's also, uh, oh, some couscous. So good they named it twice. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, this is a treat. Yeah. And, oh, oh, look at this. And some, de- I can't even pronounce it. De- Degle now with dates, basically. Dates. Deglet Noor. Very nice. Oh, nice. oh wow. We've, what a treat. we've covered Deglet Noor dates in, in the past. Those are the ones to look oh, out for. Fancy. If I remember rightly, the Bedouin, Bedouin said you could last for nine days on a single date. If you get stuck in the desert, Paul, take one date with you. Nine days you can survive on. Nine days. I'll be there for, well, there must be about 20 here. I'll be there for a while. That's fantastic. <laughs> From a country of origin, Mauritania. What are the chances? Actually, no, Bracknell. Yeah. Sorry, Bracknell, Berkshire. Never mind, but it's close. <laughs> Actually, no, to be yeah. fair, in fairness, Tunisia, it says in the front. There you go. So it's yeah. packaged in Bracknell which is, from Tunisia. Which That's is not far. Eastern Africa. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. That's amazing. Well, thank you. All of those things, they would have all been traded by the nomads and they would have had those. So um, feel free to make yourself a cup of tea. Incredible. Thank um, you. Pete, I'm, I, I, because you're here. Yeah, and I don't have a bag in front of me at all, Ryan. You, I can't help but notice. You don't have any bag in front of you or any of those things. <laughs> those are just for our guests. <laughs> but I figured that you might want a cup of tea. I'd love a cup of tea. Right. So what I was going to do is make you a traditional Mauritanian green tea with mint. In the classic Mauritanian style. In That's the classic terrific. Mauritanian style. I 
Right, so if you just give thirsty, me one so second, look forward to I'm this. just going to go and get the, uh, get, uh, get the stuff. Right, he's headed to the kitchen. Oh, is that it? He just turned the kettle on. Uh, I've got to do that bit first. Okay. So I'll, 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 we'll come back to that bit. I've learned so much on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to boil the water first. But um, obviously you'd normally do that over the coals. Yeah, probably best not to have an I open have, fire in your flat. I'm not sure what the local rules are. <laughs> I'm not allowed that. So we're just going to let that, let that boil. Right. So while that's boiling, I'm, I'm just going to carry on. So I should say, I do feel, before you start, I, I do feel bad. You're mm. making a cup of tea. Should I be going to, should I be making a tagine right now? I've got the, the stuff. <laughs> Is this what's expected of me? If you, if you wouldn't mind making the tagine while we're Okay. Okay. Well, the kitchen's the, across the house. I can start to light a fire somehow. Around yeah, we'll just carry on. You you carry go. on. All right. <laughs> Work up a nice stew. <laughs> Mauritania, now known officially as the Islamic Republic of Mauritania, is twice as large as France. Oh, wow, that's massive. One million square kilometers. Uh, it is the most Saharan country you can find. 90% of it is dry desert. Wow. That's, that's a lot of desert. 70% of that is sand and oasis. So think flat plains, dune seas, rocky plateaus, desert canyons. It's truly that image that you have of the Sahara in your mind. Mauritania is in the top left, the northwest corner of Africa. It's 350 miles of coastline facing the Atlantic. Uh, otherwise, it's bordered by Senegal to the south, uh, which we've done an episode on, episode 32. You've got Mali to the southeast, Algeria to the northeast, and uh, the western Sahara to the, the northwest. The largest city is called Nukshot, and it means place of winds. Is there some sort of a howling gale that fiercely whips across the sand? Is it a, quite a beanie d- diet? Yeah. <laughs> you know, around the campfire. I've seen Blazing Saddles. I know that scene, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I won't surprise you to learn that it's because it's very windy. Just generally, they have the trade winds that come in east off the Atlantic, um, but they also have the winds that come in west from the Sahara. So it's kind of like hit on all sides by the wind. But also, Mauritania is right in the heart of the Harmattan. The Harmattan is like an annual season. You know, like you have like the wet season or whatever, but this is the wind season. And it comes right across the Sahara and hits Mauritania. And that's where you'll have seen those huge dust storms in the Sahara. That's 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 what we're talking about here. It rages over the Sahara for those months. It blocks out the sun for days. It sandblasts everything and anyone that's caught in it. It decreases the humidity so sharply that tree branches die off. People get spontaneous nosebleeds from it. Wow. Your skin dries it blisters and you can get damage to like your respiratory system so you're because you're you're breathing in all of that sand so you need water right well water is sparse because you know what this is the sahara if you want water really you've kind of got the senegal river which is in the south so many of the people live there in in the southern regions but otherwise you're looking for spring water that, that emerges in small pools throughout the the desert it, it's a tricky place to get a drink so between the desert the wind and the lack of water you know we can see why Mauritania is the fifth least densely populated country in the world. There's hardly anyone lives there. There's four million people in a place that's twice the size of France. Nicknamed the Great Void. 
or the giant sandbox. Yeah. I can, I can imagine you stumbling on that in your research. Going, right, what's here? Number one, it's called the Great Void. <laughs> the Great Avoid as well, by the sounds of it. It's not exactly being solved. <laughs> I wish I had. Yeah, so amongst Mauritania is also known as the land of a million poets. Uh, their culture is to condense what they say into as few words as possible, or a few expressive words as possible. And basically, if you can't do that, they'll either ignore you, or they will call you Zrak, which means <laughs> simple-minded. Wow. So it's like, how was your trip? Windy. Yeah, probably shrugs. <laughs> I imagine lots of shrugs, just gest- gesturing thumb over shoulder, look at the sand kind of thing. You know, you don't want to open your mouth because the sand comes in. So yeah, it makes sense. If you if you gabble a lot in those conditions, then yeah, I can, I can see why you would probably be fairly simple-minded. I think you've hit a really good point there. I wonder if that is why. Like, because these things tend to evolve, right? Hmm. I wonder if that is it. But it is, isn't there a genuine thing that the southern states of America, they have that drawl and that kind of attitude of like, don't open mouth much because of a similar thing like New Yorkers gabble and jabber because it's colder and they can they can do that to keep keep warm you know keep warm. but, but in, in the southern states I, I, I think that is why the accents develop I think I, I need to look into that further but I think it, well no I mean it must evolve for some reason so like why not I'm, I buy that I'm in. Also, uh, you said land of a million poets, but you also said mm. that there are only four million people who live there. So one in four people there must be a poet. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's a lot of poems. There's a lot of poets about. Uh, yeah, like any 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 event that they have, like weddings and uh, even divorces, poets will be brought along and regale these these poems about how beautiful they are and how many men there are that are out there waiting for them, and it's kind of mm-hmm. a wonderful experience. <laughs> Um, do you want a Mauritania joke? I mean, want's a strong word, but I'm willing to <laughs> experience one. <laughs> okay. Is this a legit one? This is one, this is one of yours. This is a legit okay. Mauritania joke. So this is a buyer to the shopkeeper. How are you? This is the shopkeeper. I'm fine, thank God. Uh, do you have Fanta and Coca-Cola soda? Uh, they are available. Do you have milk and mango juice? Yes, I do. So it's the shopkeeper. Melon milk and Evian? Yes, all of that is available. So what do you want? Give me 50 Ioga worth of powdered milk. Oh, I pushed the wrong button. I meant, I meant laughter. There you go. I found it now. No, no, I think you were right first time. So I, I asked what the joke was. Because <laughs> yeah, have a little assistance with this one. I'd say maybe it doesn't translate. This is a kid going in to annoy the shopkeeper by asking for all of the valuable things and then just buying the cheapest thing that he can get. I found the shopkeeper to be a bit of a gabbler in that joke. Condense that into fewer words, if I'm honest. <laughs> I'm interested, though, in terms of comedy. Mm. So you've got to try and reduce down the joke into as few words as possible, I'm guessing, right? You don't want a joke that rambles on and on. Well, they say, was it Oscar Wilde said, brevity is the soul of wit. Although, of course, he could have said brevity's soul's wit and got it in three words. But, you know, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I'm not going to quibble, yeah. you know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, you're right. And if you're doing, especially if you're doing like a TV sitcom or something, every split second matters, really. So yeah, often condensing it. And especially when I do something like Not Going Out, you know, the Lee Mack sitcom. Mm. When we started that, he used to say, uh, apparently the industry standard was about three laughs per page. And each page is about a minute. It's about a laugh every 20 seconds. And of course, Lee said, no, three laughs per page. Forget that. We want eight, 12. You know, let's make the setups funny. (laughs) Let's add a punchline to the punchline and cram them in. So, and you can tell when you're writing the script sometimes. If, if you go on to the second line or the third line, the joke's not really going to work. You know, it's, you want to be a bit punchier than that generally for that sort of show. 
So can I, can I just put it to you then? So just imagine this. Lee Mack's gone into a shop, right? Yeah. And he said, do you have any uh, mango juice or lime <laughs> yeah. juice? Yeah. Uh, and the shopkeeper says, yes, we have that available. Um, we yeah. run this for two to five pages. Yeah. And at the end he says, just a bit of powdered milk, please. Do you think that would make them cut the mustard <laughs> in the next I, season? I, th- I think it would need a trim. I think it needs a look at that one. Um, <laughs> I think, um, but, but actually, one thing you stumble on there, I think, is the, the shopkeeper, you know, setup is something we've seen in Monty Python, Two Ronnies, you know, all those sort of, yeah. the classic sketch, you know, someone wanting a thing from other person, familiar setup, often authority figure. I know shopkeepers aren't often sort of as authoritarian as they could be, but, you know, the parrot shop sketch, all of those sorts of things. One person wants to get things from other person we've all seen obnoxious obtrusive shopkeepers and in this case the the, yeah. the, the customer is as well but it's you know familiar setup and it, it it works well so i mean yeah i can see in different cultures why not it's the kind of gag that uh, feels kind of timeless as well like you know you can imagine traders making a same joke about so i went and tried you know i asked how much his most expensive camel was and how much his most expensive silk was and then just bought a bag of dates. Yeah, three dates please yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and to bring it back to the the, the lee max you can see a, a, a similar scene where that would happen. Lee would go into, um, you know, a fancy jeweler's or something. And we know, because we know Lee's character, that there's no way on yeah. earth he's going to walk out with a thousand pound ring. But he might look around, <laughs> yeah. look kind of, uh, you know, how much is that? Oh, that's uh, that's a nail to put the thing up in the wall or whatever, you know. And, or just going to take a leaflet, that's a two pounds. I'll put the leaflet back, whatever, you know. There's ways of, <laughs> yeah. of, of translating. You, know, you imagine the British office translating to the American office, there are changes. And so true in a, this Mauritanian joke that uh, you've provided for us to adapt that. <laughs> to a British sitcom which I think could still yet happen I'm hopeful that this Mauritanian spin-off will yes. reach our screens then yeah you can make a few changes but the, the same setup still works I think yeah it's interesting isn't it because you've got this sort of combination of the universal mangoes into a shop you know you start any joke anywhere almost with the mangoes into a shop couldn't you but then there's also what you're missing is this common frame of reference so powdered milk is not something that I immediately think that's the cheapest thing available so you're missing this layer of reference of shared understanding of the relative value of the products so it's a combination of a timeless universal joke and yet one that you don't understand at all because you haven't got that little bit of extra cultural yeah. knowledge well actually something I, I was sort of um, toying with this in the last 18 months or so with the pandemic is you know obviously it's, we're grappling with this massive thing we're trying to make light of it a little not not you know severely so but we, we're trying to yeah. tell ourselves that it's going to be okay this is a, a huge thing that we'd never thought would happen but normality can continue but I was thinking about the, the standard classic English jokes that that no longer work or at least didn't for a while you know man walks into a bar well no for a while all the bars were closed in the entire country so that doesn't work um waiter waiter there's a fly in my soup well the restaurants were closed that doesn't work they're now greengrocers englishman irishman and a scotsman couldn't legally meet up because they couldn't leave their own countries you know and um you know it's my wife's gone to the west indies how there's the flights aren't going anywhere you know so it's such a massive thing that the standard jokes had to change you know and uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, I mean, I I think what we've agreed there is is that that Mauritania joke is going in the next season of Not Going Out. So, That's what so I heard. Let's move on. Thirteen seasons in, we need you know they always go on holiday by that point, don't they? So exactly. This is where we go. <laughs> 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 Tried and trusted. The great the great void, honestly, it writes itself. <laughs> Okay, let's n- let's not be Zrax. Let's uh, let's move on. <laughs> uh, right. So Mauritania. It comes from the name of the ancient Roman province of Mauritania. So we are going to talk about Mauritania, maybe over a thousand miles away, but it's still Mauritania. Okay, I'll accept that. You'll accept. That. I'll accept it. All right, cool. Today, North Africa is known as the Tamazga. 
It covers modern-day Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, Libya, uh, Mauritania, Mali, Nigeria, Egypt, the Western Sahara, the Canary Islands, Burkina Faso, and Senegal. So basically, all of the Sahara is known as Tamazga. Now, there are loads of indigenous tribes that live in there, and they're doing their best to make the most of it. Each has their own culture, their own dialect, their own customs, and they are known collectively as the Berbers. The Romans who encountered them saw their culture and customs as uncivilized or barbaric, from the Greek word barbaros, meaning barbarian. So it, everybody outside of the area referred to them as the barbers. Uh, but they themselves referred themselves with many different names, the most common of which was Amazia, which means the free people. Nice. Yeah. So for thousands of years, most of the Berbers, the Amazir, they survive through these harsh conditions of the Tamazga by moving their flocks of livestock around from pocket of oasis to pocket of oasis, trading you know, with other tribes to survive. But some of the Berber tribes head north and they go over what is called the Atlas Mountains. So if you picture Africa, you've got like right that flat coastline, which is where the Mediterranean is. Running parallel with that, just south of that coastline, is the Atlas Mountains, which we've talked about in our Algeria episode. And uh, what we discussed in that episode was that those mountains form like a natural barrier to, to prevent the, the raging Sahara from going much further. So north of the uh, Atlas Mountains is much greener, much more lush. That's then called the Maghreb. That covers modern Tunisia, Algeria and Morocco. So right along that whole northern coastline is the Maghreb. And that brings us to around about 300 BCE. I'm just going to uh, get get you your, your yeah, tea. Yeah, because I'm getting quite thirsty now, mate. Just, to be yeah, I know. I just want to saw the kettle was, but I didn't want to interrupt because you seem to be on a flow. Fill that. Always oh, pulled out a teapot. All oh, right, so just pop it in the teapot. Boom, we're away. All right, sorry about this, Pete. I'm getting there. Right, I just need to. I'm following the yeah, instructions. It's so. a bit dry, it's all. No, right. no, I get that. I get that. Right, so some hot water in the pot. All right, I've just got to leave. Leave that to warm up. Right. Hey, I'll, um, I'll, I'll watch that for you, mate. It's just going to warm the pot. Oh, you're just warming the pot? Yeah, this is the tradition, so... Right. Oh, okay. So I'm going to... I'll carry on. Uh, yeah, Just I guess. while the pot's warming up. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's traditional. Um, you, you, how's your tea? Poor you, are you... I mean, you could just pop your bag in and you'd be done it's, if you, if you want to... It's good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I could have had four cups of tea by now. Um, <laughs> you I've, I've, you um, could have done. Yeah, I'm just I'm transfixed by watching you make yours. So uh, yeah, yeah, no, under, understandable. It's, it's a real process, you know. It's you've got to respect the custom, Pete. Yeah. So yeah, no, no, I get that. I get that. And just, <clears throat> just, <clears throat> just, you know, yeah. Just, you know, take your time. No, I know. We'll, well, no, it's it's warming, so we'll get there. No, it won't be long. So uh, 300 BCE. We're now talking Romans, we're talking ancient Carthage, uh, which is the, the big city in modern Tunisia, and the dominant power in this region at the time. Rome is expanding, and so there's these naval battles that happen between them. Carthage is beaten. 20 years later, Carthage tries again, and uh, they rely this time less on naval battles and more on elephants uh, crossing the Alps. That's a radical shift of perspective <laughs> from a war-making perspective. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I got an idea, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so you'll have heard of Hannibal and the elephants crossing the Alps. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, that was mm. that was Carthage trying to get into northern Italy. So how did they? So Carthage, you're saying, is in Tunisia, which yeah. is North Africa. Yeah, and the Alps are very much the other side of Rome. <laughs> yeah. Number one, where did they source their elephants? Was there some sort of elephant supplier that they had to do a deal with? I mean, I guess they're in Africa. Their elephants are around. Right. Okay. I'll accept that. So then what do they do is walk them all the way around? No. Boats 
along the Mediterranean, you ship your so elephant like Spain, and then through and up and round. Oh, right. That's a long way. Can you imagine? Someone says, uh, do you want to take us on your boat? You'd be like, yeah, no problem. What you got? Elephant. <laughs> <laughs> Have you packed your trunk? I mean, that's the obvious thing, isn't it? <laughs> Custom says at that point, yeah. Yeah, so uh, Hannibal tries that. It 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 doesn't end very well, and they lose to Rome again. Even with the elephants. Even with the elephants. Ah, oh, it's a shame. Yeah. Did the Romans deploy a legion of mice to, to scare the elephants? <laughs> oh so as a result of the losses, I'm not well educated, right? <laughs> Carthage loses all its territory right along the Maghreb. The Romans step in and they start taking control. And they start to reward those Berber tribes that were supportive of them. Because the Berbers were, uh, there's many tribes, some of them are on support of Carthage and some are on support of Rome, the ones that are on the side of Rome. They were like, hey, you know, uh, as a reward, here, have some land. And so that's what they do. They, they give them a whole bunch of land and the Berbers combine their new territory into one single entity, the United Kingdom of Numidia. Now, along the coast to the west of, uh, of Numidia was another kingdom that was created and that kingdom is Mauritania. Aha. Mauritania so, is born. Mauritania and Numidia become the first two states to be truly ruled by the Berbers, as opposed to like you know being divided into smaller territories or just you know ruled by other people. This is their areas. These are their kingdoms. So it's very exciting, right? I'm excited, and I'm not even Mauritanian. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel about a Mauritania joke? Go on. At this point? I'm can't wait. <laughs> Okay, I didn't feel the sincerity in that, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here we go, Mauritania joke. All right, this one's going to be my one. All right. What do you call a very serious joke about the Sahara? Don't know. Dry humour. Have you got a cricket sound effect there, Paul? Uh, no, I haven't. Just just the fart. Um, I could do this for you. <laughs> just the fart. There you go. That's what that you're was, getting. That's good. Well done, well done. I, I, I think the delivery actually was was better than the joke itself. So you know, really, all, all credit to you there. You took your time. So you realised that it wasn't great, and you re- but still you liked it. You really you dragged it out needlessly. He's looked the audience in the eye, and he's seen what's coming. It's not good. Dragging it out needlessly is there's yeah. a word for that. I can't remember what it was. Well, actually, that, that inspires me to a to a ask Paul a question, really, which is a joke can be good or bad, but the delivery is such a massive part of it. What would you say is like the the division between how much how bad a joke can get and you still be recovered with some good telling? <laughs> Asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning myself. I'm the, well, it's, it's the old uh, Frank Carson thing, isn't it? It's the way you tell them and all that stuff. And because um, back then, you know, they would share jokes. So the, the the old mainstream circuit, the old school comedy circuit, it's the same jokes being shared around. And it was specifically the way you told them that really marked you out as the performer of note. Whereas the alternative circuit, of which I suppose I'm technically part, is yeah, you write your own stuff, and therefore it's more about creating the full the full package. But um, but yeah, obviously you know, and if you write a sitcom or something, there's always that thing. You write a draft, then they if, if it gets to screen, they'll, they'll cast it, and then you change it completely based on the actors you've got, because then you know to play to their strengths. You've got David Jason, you write it in one way. If you've got Celia Imry, you've got well, a different gender for a start. It's it's a very unusual character that could be either. But um, yeah, you, you write to, to the performer, and the performer adds their own stuff, and uh, yeah, and you get the right person, you get the right comedy. So you write to the performer. That's interesting. You know, in the olden days, it was okay. Like a joke was a joke, and it was. 
how you presented it that was the important bit. Nowadays, it's kind of very protective over the material. And no, that was my joke. And it doesn't matter if anybody says it in a different way. Like you often see these kind of tensions that build between comedians over a a joke that one of them perhaps feels has been stolen. Mm. Is that hard like to do if you're writing 12 jokes a page? Isn't it Paul McCartney who who woke up one morning and he had yesterday in his head and he was so convinced that he'd heard it somewhere he was asking people about like where you know, is this your song and they were like no <laughs> it's totally yeah, you've written it <laughs> yeah it's, well exactly and it happens a lot and especially those who write you know proper set of a punchline jokes and in the past I've done jokes I've written jokes and I've told them on stage and then only been told afterwards oh by the way that's someone else's and on right. one occasion yeah was that there was a Tim Vine joke that I I woke up convinced that I'd come up with it in my sleep and I told it on stage probably up a dozen times until someone said, you know, that's, you know, that's word for word. That's Tim's joke. And <laughs> it wasn't, you know, cause sometimes you can land on the same area, you know, and I know right. Tim and Milton and Jimmy Carr, for example, sometimes land on the same sort of punchline, but come from it from differently. Yeah. But I'd seen Tim two weeks before I came up, came up with that joke, uh, not realizing that, yeah, it was, it was not mine. So I stopped. No, and it's tricky, particularly with someone like Tim Vine, who is a joke machine. It's just one mm. after another after another. And like, you know, it does just go in somewhere. Like you, you don't intentionally sit there and write that joke down and be like, I'm going to tell that one. You can just see how these things get absorbed from mm. many different sources. It's it's It must be incredibly hard as a comedian to to feel confident in your material when you go out. As you say, being told afterwards, well, you know, actually that one's somebody else's joke and you've got to then write that one off. It's um, Yeah, I think I've, I've landed on jokes that I've come up with myself. Like I did a joke about... Um, my ex-girlfriend you know she called me up she said hi it's me why didn't you come round there's no one here I went round there's no one there and it's <laughs> just a simple little joke and but someone told me that it's also been done by some American comedian I can't remember who it is now it might be Mitch Hedberg and mm. but Mitch is no longer with us I've never you know there's never a chance that right. I would do it in the same place so I, I've kept doing the joke but if someone said that Lee Mack was doing it or someone over here then then yeah, you probably start to think uh, people are going to start wondering who's come up with this, Paul Carenza or Lee Mack? Well, Lee's more famous, you know, give right. it to Lee, basically. So at that point, it's time to retire and write 10 new jokes. I once wrote an entire book when I was a teenager uh, and I read it back to myself at the end and realised that I had basically written down Star Wars. It was, <laughs> it was, just, it was just Star Wars. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Galaxy battles. I, I, I recommend doing it on a joke first. It's a much shorter enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame because if yeah. that George Lucas hadn't got there first. Yeah, I know. Mm. I could have really been onto something there. <laughs> <laughs> Right, we had got to uh, Mauritania being ruled by the Berbers. And that's how it is for 80 or 90 years. Then the Roman Empire decides that they want to expand into Africa. And so they do exactly that and into Numidia. And uh, the Berbers are defeated. So the Romans keep on going, rolling across North Africa and conquering as they go. The Mauritanians get together. They're like, hey, we don't want to be taken over by the Romans. So they put up a good fight. Uh, but eventually the kings concede to the Romans and they sort of become their Roman vassals. So, you know, they're spokespeople for the Romans essentially. And that begins a period of Romifying Mauritania. The first thing that Rome does is to divide the kingdom into two provinces. There is Mauritania Tingitana and there is Mauritania Caesarensius. means it's present day Algeria, so sort of in the middle of the, the top of North Africa, westwards towards the Atlantic, covering northern Morocco and southwards down to the Atlas Mountains. So it covers a broad area and they, they didn't expand much west beyond that. And so the Berbers start to adopt the Roman culture 
including Christianity. They start to export to Rome things like purple dye and selling lions and leopards to fight in the games. And the soldiers, the Mori, were considered excellent like cavalry. 200 years Sorry, later. Sorry, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still pondering there. I just yeah. thought, lions, I like that. <laughs> what are your mm. main exports? Lions. lions also purple. Purple. <laughs> <laughs> Want a purple lion? We can do that too. <laughs> Very Vegas. <laughs> it's a shoe lion. <laughs> Employment of the Barbary Lions. I say, Darwin, do you remember Horatio, the thespian? Yes, yes, well, he auditioned for the humans, and he's got himself a starring role on the main stage in Rome. I say, yes, now I was thinking we should go down there and Ballywell get ourselves a role too. Now, that is a bloody brilliant idea. I know. I say, hello, humans. Two weeks later. Oh, hello, co-star. Loving the net and the fork. Now, tell me, is this a script or is this more of an improv thing? Oh, no. End of employment of the Barbary Lions. Mauritania joke? Mm, go on. What a great day to be Mauritania. I wonder what to do today. Should I end poverty? Should I solve hunger problems? Should I stabilise politics? Should I make fight, terrorism and war? Should I give everyone equality? Hmm, no. I'm going to blow my GDP on that instead. <laughs> a little bit of politics, as Ben Elton would say. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Applause that for that a- one. I appreciate the sentiment rather than uh, anything else. Yeah. It's it's a politics joke. Mm. I mean, I'm still not exactly sure what the joke was, to be honest mm. with you, but certainly the, the notion that you can laugh at or make jokes about How terrible some pretty are. grim situation. Mm. Any thoughts on that, Paul? I think my only thought is, well, the trouble is politics... Um, top- Topical jokes, they change so quickly. And um, maybe you're, if you're in the situation, you can get the joke quicker because you're living it. But um, I think once you need to do a bit of digging and read a whole encyclopedia article to understand what the joke is, the moment's <laughs> sort of been lost. So, uh, it's a, bit of a... a wise man once told me, if you have to explain it, it's not funny. Most of my jokes come with a five-minute preamble. So. <laughs> I think there's often... yeah, there's, there's fun in explaining the joke sometimes. Um, if you really... Like a Stuart Lee would commit and give five minutes of explanation and then say and that's why it's funny and that's why that's why you're wrong and the joke's right so you know you can have that attitude to it right okay um we were talking about lions and leopards getting a bit thirstier right oh, of course yeah well it should be nice and warm now all right one second it's parched mate i've had a lovely cup in the meantime it's been oh, very nice <laughs> yeah you should have another one am i right Oh, he's got some tea out that's a that's an important progress loose leaf tea all right now, this is green tea where would Mauritania be without tea? It would be Mauritania. Cockney, innit? <laughs> Mauritania. <laughs> All right, filled the pot now. How much do you put in? Is it like my old mum said, which is uh, one per person and one for the pot? The instruction said eight teaspoons. Eight? Wow. Wow. 
So um, I've just got to let that brew now. The long, long, long brewing time is in. <laughs> well, the, it recommends uh, fifteen to twenty minutes. Oh my! So we're just, <laughs> just going to leave That's that. So thirsty. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave that. To, you've got to so brew. you've got to really you've got to guess when you'll be ready to have a cup of tea and plan days ahead. <laughs> yeah. Are you thirsty? No. Let's start making some tea because <laughs> I might be. <laughs> this is the custom, Pete. I'm sorry. All it's right. Mauritania. Understood. You I've just... got to respect the traditions of the Mauritanians. Right, we're now in 400 CE, we're approaching our time period, and uh, the Roman Empire is starting to crumble, and the Germanic Vandals have taken advantage. They've seen this weakness, and they're like, right, let's conquer parts of Africa. So that's what they do. They head into North Africa, and Rome no longer controls Mauritania. I had no idea that the Germans got that far down, actually. But the Vandals are focused more on taking Carthage. Carthage at the time is like the power base, so they all head east. The few Vandals that are left in Mauritania, uh, they're defeated by the Mori, who obviously have had 200 years worth of Roman training. So uh, the the Mori claim the area back, but they still retain an element of Roman continuity. So their leaders called themselves Imperator. 533 CE, so we're now into our time period. And over in Carthage, the Vandals have been in charge for a while. They've taken over Carthage and they've been there for you know a few years. The East Roman Empire, the Byzantine, and General Belisarius reclaims Carthage for Rome and for Numidia. So he takes back pretty much the whole of the north of Africa. The Berber tribes around Carthage, they all pledge their allegiance to the Romans again. And the Roman Moorish kings of Mauritania, they sort of semi acknowledge it. I guess they were happy with having their land to themselves for a while. So, you know, yes, they they recognize the Romans, but they don't want the Romans to be there. So the Romans only put up like one military outpost and that's right on the edge. They pretty much just leave the the Mauritanians to themselves. And there are Moorish uprisings almost immediately. Numidia, Carthage, they all start rebelling. The military mutinies and Roma's really got a problem. And so begins the Moorish Wars. The Romans manage to keep control of this. They have several difficult victories. Many of the, the, the rebels flee into Mauritania, so they head west towards the Atlantic, where Mauritania welcomes them with open arms, and they start to build up like a, a rebel base there, so to speak. A decade passes, there's a second Moorish uprising near Carthage, and this ends worse for the Berbers, because 17 of their leaders are executed by the Romans. And the Romans cement their place in Numidia, and along the Maghreb, except in Mauritania, where Mauritania then goes, you know what, we're just going to renounce Roman rule completely. The Berber king, who is in charge at this time, Garmel, uh, he launches raids into the Roman territory. Garmel fails, but he does manage to kill three Roman generals. So Emperor Tiberius II Constantine, he sets out a campaign in Mauritania, 577, and it is brief and it is effective. In just two years, Garmel is defeated and killed. So the Romans extend their territory back into uh, Mauritania. And uh, in 585, Emperor Maurice, or Maurice, he creates a new province which he calls Mauritania Prima. Nice. Much better sounding name, right? So the Romans have now secured that whole coastal corridor, and it stays that way for over 150 years, when the Muslims ride out of Arabia and conquer pretty much everything, changing the names and erasing Mauritania from that ancient map. Camel train is walking through the Sahara when they stumble across three watering holes. The tribe chief looks at them all and says, Well, well, well. 
The ka-ching of money. That's what that joke deserves. It's gold, right? There's a career in the waiting in the Mauritanian stand-up circuit. Yeah. I looked at that. There isn't one. I, I was, no offence to you, Paul, but I did look to see whether or not there was a Mauritanian comedian oh. I could bring in. Oh, no, I'm not taken. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, don't, the, I'm, I'm the nearest one. you can get. <laughs> That means the Mauritanian circuit is there to be discovered and made, and uh, I think Paul Krenzer could be a trailblazer here. Well, I was just saying, you know, Montreal, Mauritania. Mauritania, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Should we start a Fringe Festival out there? Yeah, absolutely. The old the old MF, MFF, the Mauritanian Fringe Festival, is, you know, Edinburgh's on the decline. Mauritania is, is where it's It's the now. new way forward. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Not only the free fringe, though. It's the oppressed fringe, if anything. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So, old Mauritania was north of the Atlas Mountains. New Mauritania is south of the Atlas Mountains and to the west. Deep in the Sahara, it's out of the reach of the Romans, is Mauritania as we know it today. In 200 CE, there is a small number of nomadic tribes that are living there, the Berbers. By 500 CE, these are non-literate people. Uh, Nothing really remains about their lives. There was history written on the sand. But there are accounts from other cultures who interacted with them. So, a Roman author, Gaius Plinius Secundus. Was he Pliny the Younger? Elder. Oh, Elder. Pliny the Elder. (laughs) Yeah, and he writes, The area north of the River Senegal was populated by nomadic people who travelled 2,000 miles in caravans across North Africa to Sirta, modern Tunisia. So they were literally walking right through the Sahara from left to right. It's enough time for two cups of tea. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know why you're moaning, mate. You're getting... You're getting... (laughs) I mean, I could ruin the the custom and make you a quicker cup of tea. No, I don't want you to betray the Mauritanian people. Paul, I've, I've made three tagines in this time. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. carved that yam into a <laughs> sweet potato. <laughs> sweet potato into a, a <laughs> cave painting. I keep looking at the picture and he's gnawing on this sweet potato. <laughs> exactly. I've grown a new one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, so he mentions uh, about some of the tribes that were living there. Uh, he says that the Bafours were there. Those were agriculturalists and are probably among the first people to actually settle and farm. There is the Parosi, the Farusi and the Nigrati. Strabo, the Greek philosopher, he expands on this. He says that the Farusi and the Nigrati use bows and arrows. They have chariots armed with scythes. Wow. Yeah. They keep to themselves as they pass through the desert. They carry skins filled with water and they fasten it under the bellies of their horses. Some are said to live in caves, which they dig in the ground. And he says that some wear the skins of serpents and fishes when it rains and use them as coverings for their beds too. I kind of want a snake skin duvet now. (laughs) It does sound comfy. Sliding around on your bed sheets like silk sheets. Fish sheets. (laughs) Funny that didn't take off. Fish sheets. The other tribes he talks about, they wear the skins of lions, panthers, and bears. They sound a lot scarier than the fish people. (laughs) (laughs) Fish people in the desert. And they sleep in them too. They plait their hair, they trim their beards, they wear golden ornaments, they clean their teeth, and they pare their nails. Uh, And apparently you would rarely see them touch one another as they walk, lest they should disturb the arrangement of their hair. These are people who cared about their appearance. Pretty snazzy desert dwellers. They fight on horseback, they throw javelins, and they use shields made from the skins of elephants. That would intimidate you. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to risk sharing a joke with them, I think. Uh, I, I, I just <laughs> let them do their thing. Joke about the fish people. I'm sure they'd find that funny. Actually, um, this reminds me, Paul, of that stand-up show you did. Um, uh, what was it called? Uh, Borderline Racist? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's right. Um, I was grappling for a, a high-concept show to do for an hour. Rather than just tell jokes, I thought, let's make it uh, difficult for myself. So the idea was to try and work out what every country in the world thought of their neighbours, and particularly what sort of jokes they would tell about their neighbours. It came from my Ukrainian uh, housemate at the time, who uh, were watching TV one night, and uh, I think someone came... I think an, an Estonian was on TV, which is very un, unusual, generally speaking. And my Ukrainian housemate, well, look at them, the backward inbred idiots. We thought, wow, this... My Ukrainian housemate was normally really sweetness and light and pleasant, but we'd never, ever seen an Estonian on TV before. And it turns out that's all it needed to unlock <laughs> that very dark side of it. And then she was really embarrassed, because she's very sweet. And she said, oh, no, it's not true, of course. It's just that's the stereotype in you know, where I'm from in Ukraine. Right. We got a map out and looked at all of the different, I mean, I didn't even know the neighbours of Ukraine, but like Belarus, uh, she said, mm. well, they're meant to be sort of poor and Hungary, or oh, they're meant to be really clean in Hungary. Uh, Latvia is very quaint. Um, Moldova is, you know, uh, different, you know, Poland, Romania, they've all, and she's got a really, a, like a straight away, an answer for each of them. That's what amazing. What stereotype is in the same way that you know if like you know as an englishman i know the french the scots that you know even if it's yeah. wrong it's 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 racist and it's there um, <laughs> yeah it's definitely so, uh, understanding to, to, i went to the list this morning to go mm. mauritania what did i have for mauritania nothing <laughs> left it i couldn't find a mauritanian so uh, i didn't have anything on mauritanian what they thought of their neighbors or what their neighbors thought of them but there you are it's a gamble because had you found a mauritanian there was a one in four chance it would have been a poet which would have made it really easy well i think yeah like i, said, I mean this is back in 2006 or so i did it and i think nowadays you know with more podcasts and more social media and things i think there's every chance i could complete the list nowadays when back then it was a, it was more about who i bumped into and i didn't bump into as many nationalities as i'd hoped in 2006 it is remarkable if you think this would have this show would have been impossible 15 years ago for sure it would have just been this is what i got from the encyclopedia britannica yeah <laughs> Borderline Racist 2, coming soon. It's a yeah. great name for a show, by the way. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Did you get any trouble for it? Um, it's one of those things, you name it that, and then instantly regret it and think, ah, oh, <laughs> I've had the posters printed now, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure this is a Paul good Carenza, idea. Borderline Racist. There's always a risk uh, everywhere. I can just imagine the audience showing up, and you'd be like, oh, that wasn't what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I did have to spend the first five minutes trying to work out what audience had come to the show and try and reassure them exactly what sort of show it was. Yeah, I'm sure. Sure, I'm sure. Mm. Um, How's the tea coming, right? Oh, the tea. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So the tea. This is the exciting bit now. Still ready, ready to have my drink. It's all brewed. It's warmed. <laughs> right. Just, just. I'm just brewed. checking. It's oh, that's brewed nicely. That's tea. The tea's ready. Right. So here we go. I'm... He's pouring the tea like you might imagine, but he's raising the teapot up. He's raising it right up. It's like oh! a foot in the air. Okay. Wow. Right, so mm. now I pull that back in. Wait, no, there's a cup of tea there. No, 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 it's not. No, 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 no. No. This we, is some no. sort of torture. <laughs> then, then we do it again. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was going very well until the end. All over me. Right, and then I pull that back in again. Just want a cup of tea, mate. <laughs> mate, it's coming. Just like, just what I've made a, a big mess. <laughs> right. Oh, I've forgotten the sugar. Look, the the Mauritanian equivalent of Starbucks must have queues around the block. They must be a long, long time getting their hot beverages. And sugar. Do you sugar. like sugar? I like a little bit of sugar. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't normally have sugar in tea, but uh, I'm willing to, for the sake of tradition. That's okay, well, this a sugar. Has lots of sugar. That's one sugar, two sugars. That's a third sugar. Four. 
Yep, that's five, and he's not st- not even slowing down. Six, seven. Oh my lord! Eight sugars. No, yeah. he's still not stopping. Nine. Tends to be. I'm not. No, okay. What? That's sixteen that's sugars. A lot of sugar. That's a lot of sugar. Oh my lord! You could have just saved time, given the pack of Tate and Lala and a spoon. I mean, that's all that you need <laughs> just to tuck <laughs> into that. Okay, we, we're nearly getting there. Right, so I get my cup of tea now. Right, just one second. Oh, it has a leak. You are so impatient. Tea. Right, what we do now is. I now have to reboil that. So I'm just going to put this into a, another kettle and <laughs> boil it up. So one second. You're kidding me. I just want a cup of tea. <laughs> wow. Wow. All right, I've learned a lot today. It's like next time a Mauritanian goes, you fancy a cuppa? And the answer is no. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if you've got five weeks. I'll just have the powdered milk. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, they're really invested in this tea business, aren't they? So now you just boil the tea again. It, I mean, it, the, the sugar will keep it for a long time until it's ready. It's basically That's a cool. cup of jam for, at this point. <laughs> Minty jam. Right. Okay. It's on its way. It's, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> hey, look, I don't know why you're looking so Thirsty? hard done by. Imagine being in the desert Just, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think these people would rush to liquid satisfaction, wouldn't you? They'd kill <laughs> themselves. Especially showing it to you as well in that dramatic way, yeah, like a high arc of, uh, of water. Pop this back on the boil. Yeah. Oh, you're killing me. Uh, let's have another joke just before we, we carry on. The only celebrity to have a concert in Mauritania is Nicky Mirage. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> just kidding, Paul. It's actually Barbara Drysand. Pete, you like that one? I, that wasn't actually bad. Yeah. I, feel, yeah, you I always it. feel dirty for chuckling at that. <laughs> I can see you holding back. Nikki Mirage. No, it's actually Barbara Drysand. Nice. Didn't think of Oasis. At all. I'm just imagining your your notebook or your your I don't know Microsoft Word doc open mm. with just every combination of dry and sand and sand and dry and the thousand that didn't work yeah. before you've given us the cream of the crop. Yeah. So some humour there in Mauritania. Just. Just saying. So in 200 CE, uh, the uh, the Roman victory against the Carthaginians uh, means that a number of those Berber tribes that were displaced, they migrate south. So they go over the Atlas Mountains and they make their way towards Mauritania. And what they do is as they're migrating, those Berber tribes come in and they just essentially wipe them out. Uh, they attack and erase all all trace of them. So during our period, 500 CE, we know that Berber tribes were living there and that they operated in and out of Mauritania, but not much specifically um, because 200 years later in 700 CE, the Arabs arrive and they start to subjugate and assimilate the inhabitants into Islam uh, and Islamic culture. And that basically just sort of wipes out traces of those people during that window. So today, much of the history and culture focuses on uh, Arab rule and French colonization. You know, those are the two main areas. History beyond that is is left to Berbers migrated south and displaced people. So it's all a bit of a, a bit of a mystery as to that time period. But there is one tribe which does exist, which was from that period, and that is the Imrawun tribe in Mauritania. And they are said to descend from the Bafua people. 
They live in fishing villages in the Bank de Arguen National Park, and they are famous uh, principally because they have an interesting way of fishing, which is that they go down to the sea and they whistle at dolphins, and the dolphins uh, come near to them, and they catch all the mullet that follow the dolphins, and so that's how they catch their fish, and you can still see them doing it today. The name Imrawan means people who fish while walking on the sea. I've got so many questions. <laughs> who first learned how to whistle a dolphin in, being chief amongst them? There's a bloke, bloke called Dave. Dave, <laughs> Dave, yeah. Dave the, the dolphin whistler. <laughs> the dolphin whistler. <laughs> can, can anybody whistle a dolphin? Would the dolphin is just like whistling. Maybe you should just try it and find out. Maybe. How cool is that though? I'm going down to SeaWorld. There's great footage on YouTube of these guys going out and uh, yeah, dolphins come in and they swim amongst them and all the fish, they just throw their nets out and catch them all. It's pretty cool. So a few other things that were in Mauritania we know about during 500 CE um, uh, that are still there today. Uh, the remains of the lost city of Atlantis. Crikey. That's mm. unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've heard of that. <laughs> yeah. So um, otherwise called the Eye of Africa or the Richat structure. From space, looking down, you can see a 30 mile diameter set of concentric rings. And it really does look like an eye in the middle of the desert. Most scientists say that it is an uplifted dome that is eroded over time to expose like onion layers of rock. But others point to Herodotus calling the people who lived there Atlanteans in around 540 BC because of the Atlantic Ocean, I guess. And Plato's account of Atlantis being surrounded by a series of concentric circles. Who knows? And there was someone back then, way back when that was a proper functioning place, who ordered a cup of tea then. <laughs> and now... It's nearly ready. <laughs> His desiccated corpse just in front of a still-boiling kettle. <laughs> Talking of which, that's probably bought, so let me just go and get it. One second. Awesome. So this is it. I'm going to get me this cup of tea. Well, I must say I'm excited. He's gone back to the pan. He's come back from the pan. It, it's not boiled yet. <laughs> it's not there. No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> so I've turned the heat up. Um, and that is it. That is that is what that is what you've got for Mauritania humor in Mauritania during the five hundreds. I got a question. When do we get to the part about humor in Mauritania during the six hundreds? <laughs> no, I know. I, I think I. It's, I mean, I've got to applaud. It's, it's a tough. Um, and you, you can have some genuine applause. I say genuine. <laughs> Pre-recorded many hundreds of years ago. But um, to find any humor in anything beyond, I mean, the fact that you look at a, a Shakespeare comedy five hundred years ago and we don't find that funny. You can look at a radio mm. comedy from fifty years ago and we look at it as a bit of a museum piece even little britain are now apologizing for the sketches they did 10 years ago because they say well we wouldn't find that funny nowadays yeah so even to find a shred of what any of the humor would be from this different culture you know it's it's not possible so you talk about how it travels paul if you get invited to a gig is there a sort of destination where you think actually my stuff just isn't going to work there do you turn gigs down or is it just sufficiently an international circuit that you don't need to worry about that kind of thing uh, I, well the gigs I've done overseas the ones that have worked generally have been the ones where it's an expat community so you know I've done south of France and Nice and Monaco and, um, and quite a lot in Germany actually where like Cologne there are a few English speaking comedy clubs but I've done a couple of gigs in places like in Berlin I did a I did Berlin Comedy Festival and it was it was a German speaking audience who had come along to hear some English comedy and it was tough. In fact, you know, it was, it was a mixed 
uh, language bill so most of the acts were German and uh, and I came on and I spoke slowly and in fact I'd done the groundwork and I'd uh, translated my jokes from English into German so I gave the wow. English setup the English punchline and then the German setup and German punchline and um, some jokes worked but the ones that you really thought might just suddenly don't you know because things like um, I talked about the fact that I was ginger at the time I'm not, not so ginger now but uh, <laughs> and being strawberry blonde as being a thing that you would talk about and I translated that as Erdbeer Blondine because Erdbeer is strawberry and Blondine is blonde but of course they look at you and it's like you're saying to them you know what, I don't know tomato hair or something it doesn't make sense it doesn't work in the same way and I'm going it's the colour of a strawberry in the colour of a hair but no it's so many things just it, as soon as you translate languages I think it's tricky yeah. as soon as you've got different cultures it's tricky but even then you know when I did the South of France gigs um, yes they were English and Australian and American and we had a shared language but many of them were, were boat people and so okay. they'd been traveling they'd be, literally work on yachts and things and so my jokes about Grange Hill or Greg's or whatever <laughs> or even even going into a shop many of them hadn't been into a shop properly for many years because right. they just you know lived on yachts and things so you need shared experience that helps a lot and if you don't have that shared experience if it's a different culture a different tribe then you end up laughing at each other I suppose well I mean I, I'm interested because there does seem to be a lot of oppression which goes back quite far and it seems like there is a role in the community for somebody to remind you that there is some sort of joy and humour to be found even in those darkest times and and so I would expect in 500 CE absolutely that each of those tribes would have had their jester their, their clown as there is in a school classroom as there is amongst me and Pete you know one of us is 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 the funny one and one of us is Ryan is me <laughs> <laughs> for me personally I just find it nice to make people laugh I suppose and I remember distinctly the moment when I was about 10 or 11 years old when I made my neighbors my grown-up uh, neighbors friends of the family uh, laugh and I could hear the laugh was not a a pitying sort of laugh I'd, I'd said a joke uh, I said something humorous in response to a situation and I can't remember what that was but I just remember them all laughing thinking wow that's a good feeling I've made grown-ups laugh in a proper way and I think the, the rest of the next few decades was in search of ways to do that more and more yeah. but um, yeah and then at school you know I was never the, the class clown or anything I was sort of off to one side lobbing in a quick mm-hmm. uh, one-liner and ducking down so no one could see where it came from comedy sniper but um, <laughs> but yeah historically there's the role as you said just as just as speaking truth to the king and all that sort of thing, you can get away with it if you are that person, the lord of misrule. And I think every culture, as you said, has it. There's an intelligence to it, isn't there? It seems like, you know, it's often said that comedians are the modern philosophers. Yeah. And look at, you know, nowadays people would go, oh, yeah, well, um, it's just a joke, isn't it? But then you look at the stuff on like Instagram or Pinterest or any of these things and people are quoting, you know, little pithy one-liners mm. from philosophers, but also from John Bishop or Joe Lycett or whatever right. they've seen on the telly. So I think people do, it's a different way of looking at the world, isn't it? And, it um, is. You know, James Acaster on, on Mop the Week, James, if you look on YouTube, James Acaster really distilled the Brexit argument into a perfect 20 second bite size nugget when he used the metaphor of, ironically for what you've been doing here, um, do you leave the tea bag in the tea yeah. as you serve it or do you <laughs> take the tea bag out? And it was that whole idea of the, us as a country, we are stronger uh, you know, you take the tea bag out and you have a stronger tea bag, but you leave it in. The tea bag itself becomes weaker, but then everything around it becomes stronger. And the way he he nailed it word for word, he distilled it, he made it perfect, and it summed up Brexit in twenty seconds. And he's talking about tea bags, and Amazing. that was like speaking truth to the power, and um, nailed it in a way that 
you know philosophers and journalists wouldn't that, absolutely and and i think that that brings us back to being you know the land of a million poets and being able to use words carefully and creatively to be able to communicate um something potentially quite profound so that was me pete that was a splendid episode, Ryan, uh, under what can only be described as challenging circumstances. <laughs> this um, is by far <laughs> the most challenging one that we've had. I thank Paul for sitting with us on this journey, but this is the hardest one. I think bringing, bringing in an expert was a work of inspiration. And uh, Mr. Krenzer, we thank you, sir, for your contributions and your insight and your talent. Well, I thank you for having me. This is the only podcast I've ever done where a parcel has arrived midway through the recording <laughs> yeah. with items, uh, which, uh, you know, and I, I feel guilty. I'm enjoying these when you still haven't had your cup of tea yet. So, you know, I don't. Hey, yeah, home. I mean, it's on its way. I haven't added the mint yet. If it, the mint is next. If it's quicker, I can put a cup of tea in an Uber and get it to your house by the time it's done. <laughs> that does sound quicker. <laughs> <laughs> and if we wanted more Paul Carenza in our lives where would we catch you yeah you can catch me in places uh just google paul carenza and you'll generally find me but uh, my podcast is yeah it's on the history of of british broadcasting and it's called the british broadcasting century and uh yeah that's what that, so that's a bit of history in there but it's much more recent and it's in this country because i don't have a randomizer telling me what to choose i choose the thing that i actually want to talk about which is that oh that's a brilliant idea i wish we thought of that <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah no i've really been enjoying the podcast it's great it's really enjoyed it oh thank you i've, I've been it's a good kind of it's been good fun but yes podcasting and history it's the future so thanks again paul you have been awesome it's been great having you here thank you thank you very much happy to stand in when the mauritanian comedy circuit let you down (laughs) (laughs) barbara drysand barbara that was definitely your finest joke ryan thanks man okay so pete (laughs) it's that that time time. it's that time the (laughs) most exciting yet terrifying moment of any given podcast all right i'm just gonna crank the uh crank the old does fire it up here it goes oh that's smooth today buttery can you feel that yeah i just tightened a few nuts ah maybe we can do this wrench and a bit of spare time (laughs) and some elbow grease (laughs) okay here it is are you ready i'm ready okay the does later is does lating and your country is Cyprus. Cyprus. Ooh, Cyprus. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. You okay with that? Uncomfortable. Yeah. So far. Here we go. And your time is. Okay. It's the Hundred Years' War between 1337 and 1453. Oh, I genuinely don't know how to feel about that. I was hoping for something in the late 70s, but uh, it's not prehistoric. It's not so 500 CE um, in Mauritania either. Hopefully, there's something to be had there. You'll be fine. And the topic is. Oh, this is lovely. It's beauty. Oh, nice. Beauty in the the Hundred Years' War in Cyprus. Oh, well, I know one thing about Cyprus, and it's very beauty-related, but I will save it for next time. Very good. Well, I'm excited to hear it. So that's our show for this week. Thank you very much for listening. And if you'd like to get in touch about any of the things that we've talked about on this show, or just to say hello, you can reach out to us on social media through our website at hhepodcast.com or by email at peteandryan at hhepodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you never know, you might end up featured on a future show. And one way to definitely feature on a future show is to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your recommendation really helps us bring the show to new listeners. Uh, And if you're on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, you can find us at HHE Podcast. 
If you subscribe to any of those, you'll get an alert every time we post our one-minute animated HHE bites. Yeah, and we're going to be back again soon with The Verdict. But in the meantime, if you can't get enough of the show, check out our back catalogue of episodes, which you can find in your podcast app, YouTube, or on our website, hhepodcast.com. All right. So I guess that's it. And all that's left to say is... You've been listening to... History happened everywhere. Hey, Ryan. Hey, P. Uh, uh, listen, you're, you're up next, mate. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, I just want to know, are you absolutely sure you want to do this? Uh, yeah, obviously. And you're sure you want to use all Mauritania joke material? It's my Mauritania special, of course I am. And you're sure this will kill? What? look... Comedian Paul Carenza came on our show and said, in quotes, I'm a comedy genius. In quotes, were those his exact words? Well, there are thereabouts. Well, look, I'm just saying it's not too late. Oh, I've got to go. I've got, I'm, I'm being called on. Oh, oh good luck. Yeah, thanks. Hello, 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 hello. Um, right, so uh, anyone here from Mauritania? Um, when, when, um, when you go on holiday there, uh, don't forget to take lots of luggage, um, because you will accumulate a lot of possessions in Mauritania. Oh. <laughs> um, a, a Mauritanian, uh, walks into the desert and says, long time, no see. The only celebrity to have a concert in Mauritania is, is Nicky Mirage. No, 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 just kidding. It's Barbara Dreisand. Well, I didn't see that coming. So, I'm really ready for that tea now, Ryan. Ryan? Ryan? Oh, I'm so thirsty.